0: Hi everyone, Julie here. If you want to hear future episodes before anybody else, join our Patreon, where you'll get episodes three days early, as well as access to Slack and all sorts of other things. You can find us at patreon.com slash podlanderdrunkcast. Thanks for listening. Visit us at podlanderpresents.com to find information on all of our shows.
1: Yeah.
2: What is the real shit? I can't see it. It's an oral medium, Allison. It's an Ooh, aural medium.
1: Um, nice. Uh, Tom was camping in Wisconsin this weekend and brought back some of uh, S- Wisconsin's finest nuclearus spotted cow. What are Hell you? Yeah. What are you drinking on this fine occasion, Amelia?
0: Well,
2: I opened a guia for later, but right now I'm enjoying a Mars elixir botanical tea chai life with CBD. <gasps> wow I know. you know what we are we? Need... We've, we've switched places you're drinking and i'm consuming weed products
1: had a little time swapsies maybe oh no we did what i'm saying amelia is i am my own great 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 granda it sounds funny i know but it really is so I'm... <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the parent trap welcome to uh podlander drunk cast an Outlander podcast. That was a bit of a bit, but there's so much to fucking talk about this episode. What yeah. do you want? Do you want jokes or do you want a piping hot content? I think you want the piping hot content. I'm Allison. I'm Amelia. Uh, Julie, bless her, is out sick. Um, so somehow we will have to talk about Brian Roger fucking to in the air tonight without her. I'm not sure how we're going to manage that, but surely we will. Um... Because, yeah, Brian Roger just laying down some pipe. Yep. In the air tonight. So,
2: so something, something, make the word drum fill dirty, something, something. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, I have
1: thoughts about that drum fill. When we first watched this episode, uh, yesterday. It's, we're recording on Monday, July 21st, 21st, 31st. Um, and we, when Amelia and I watched the episode yesterday, I was fully on board with the sex scene and the needle drop. And I want to be clear, I still am and we'll get into it, but I have one major note and maybe this is actually our bit. That is maybe the most famous, Oh my God, here are some drums moment in all of pop music. I wouldn't speak to classical music, I'm sure. There are some very <laughs> important, oh my God, all of a sudden there are drums moments in classical music that I'm not thinking of. But in terms of pop music, I mean, it's iconic. It is iconique. Um, and it's certainly, if you're looking at it as a structural choice, going to the. Um, I'm gonna hoist you up around my waist to better position you for penis entry when we flap down on our fold-a-bed. Seems to be the right moment for the ba
2: dum ba dum ba dum ba dum bum bum. Yeah, it's the but sound I- of their fold-a-bed collapsing underneath <laughs> them.
1: <laughs> totally, totally. But but I gotta say, I feel like it warranted more of a like belt, hand, bed, pillow, blah, blah. you know what I mean, like. Get a little more percussive with it. Like, surely some editor in the editing bay was like, guys, I could make this really spicy. And they're like, nah. Nah. No, what, then why do you pay for the needle drop? There are sexier songs of the time.
2: Surely. I know. I'm like, 1981, 1981. What? <laughs> what is it? Well, the song came out in 1981. I looked it up. Um, of course you did. Of course I did. I
1: didn't, st- I just think. You could have timed, like, kilt hits the floor on one but ump and then a top hits the floor on one but ump and then a brassiere flies and then a
2: and um, then the final butt ump is just boob boob
1: grab grab boob yes yeah um yeah i just i I just have some notes i think you know there's a big needle drop they spent like you know at the beginning of the some season of crazy ex-girlfriend i think it's season two i think Love Colonels, season two. Yes. Daryl is not played by a broom on a stand, season two.
2: Is it two or three? I think it you're right, it's two.
1: There's a line in that song that I think up of often, which is um, This video ate up our production budget. Love droplets, droplets. Daryl is not played by a boom, or Every sent Love da, da. Daryl is not played by a broom on a stand, right? Which um mm-hmm. uh I swear to God, I'm not making that up. That really is his name. Is not a broom on a stand. I want to be really clear about that. He is not a broom yeah. on a stand. He is much more expressive than a broom on a stand. Although he's we, not a
2: corpse on a horse. He's not a broom on a stand.
1: No, uh, we like him. I'm a big fan. Can't wait to talk more about that dude. Um, but I do feel a little bit like in the air tonight. Must have eaten up their music budget. You know, like if they're gonna if, if they ate up their needle drop budget, and if you're gonna do that then time the drum beats to some fucking butum but ba boom, boom. Like, boob, boob, definitely. Boob, yeah. boob. It's right Any- there. Anyway, Patty, we're not here to just talk about drum beats. We are talking about Outlander Season 7, Episode 7, the penultimate episode in the first half of the second to last season of Outlander. It fucks. It was written by Margot Yee and directed by Joss Agnew. Um, As a reminder for this season, uh, all of the individual episodes were directed in pairs. So uh, Joss Agnew, this is their first episode of the season. They also directed the um, mid-season finale, um, which... uh, we uh, can I think safely assume uh is the continuation of the battles of Saratoga um along with time travel shenanigans and some light kidnappery um so I think he did a really good job and I'm stoked to talk about this episode Amelia overall thoughts initially how do you feel how did you vibe what do you think what did it on a practical guide to time travel
2: um, I mean, not to skip ahead to the scales, but I found there were very few opportunities to get a beer. Oh, yeah. No chill. Yeah. Right from uh, the no get chill. Go. And it mostly felt, you know, earned. I didn't see or appear or sense any you know, rustlings of the mustache uh, <laughs> <laughs> getting in the way. Uh, it all, I mean, as far as Outlander can be, it felt pretty grounded. Grounded mm-hmm. and spicy. We love it.
1: Grounded and spicy. Like meat.
2: Yes. This you know is. what else? You know what else can be good <laughs> this is with a meat? sloppy Joe of Yeah. What? It is
1: hmm. a sloppy Joe of an episode. You know what else can be good with meat? Mustard. Like a regiment. <laughs>
0: God damn it. It's so
1: bad. I'm never gonna stop. It's so bad. Um <laughs> So this season we've been doing a lot of let's divvy up our dueling storylines and cover them one at a time, and I think we can continue with that one this time around. Uh, which means that we should start with our supporting players, our guest cast, are um, just around for a little tiny touch of the old um, season one magic, uh, Jamie and Claire, um, who are delightful and here basically for um, plot setup and one scene of piping hot piss um so so where do we start with these folks amelia what where do we rejoin our hero and heroine
2: well we we see all these tents set up we're at bemis heights bemis heights i'm not from the east coast in september of 1777 claire at least
1: says bemis heights so i think your first instinct was correct
2: great claire is writing on like the little encampment with the cutest little portable (gasps) writing desk I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm obsessed with it. I have no need for one, but I want one very badly.
1: Also, fun fact, did you know that Jane Austen's writing desk was purchased at auction by Kelly Clarkson? (gasps) She's one of us. She's one of us. One of us. Since you've been gone,
2: it's been centuries, but I bought your (laughs) writing desk. Um, Claire is writing a letter to Brie, where she does my favorite thing in a while, where she really glosses over what her life is like, right? So it's like a long-ass, old-timey letter. I met your brother, at Ticonderoga. I was captured. I'm safe now. That's it! Because... (laughs) This bitch gets captured, and Jamie has to bust her out so often that in writing the historical record for her daughter, whom she misses, it's just, I was captured. I'm safe now. Okay, moving on. Uh, Happy 1777. Bye.
1: I met your brother.
2: He's hot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I will say... I prefer to have Claire voiceovers in Letra form uh, because at least then there's a reason, you know, like mm-hmm. I let I like that little gloss as opposed to Claire just telling us about things for reasons that are hard to justify unless you're reading a book. Um, but yeah, it's not a great it's not scintillating prose. No, not at all. But the writing not desk is sick. Um mm-hmm. So we see that the, the tens have amassed, and there's a, there's a great battle on the horizon. The Battle of Saratoga. And that's about it, because then we cut to Brianna in an Amelia Bazell dress.
2: <laughs> yeah, like my gunny-sacks fantasy, being lived. It looks
1: Blue so frock. cute and so comfy. You know there are pockets in that thing. Oh, yeah. Great sleeves. She's just sitting in one of the season seven blue chairs with a giant mug of what one assumes is tea, reading one of her mom's letters, which is remarkably well preserved. She puts it back in the box, which for some reason she does not lock.
2: Does it have a lock? I guess it does because it was
1: in the bank. They had to well, and they had to pry it open. Oh, that's true. Um, because I don't know if you are aware, but there's a solid gold musket ball in that bitch.
0: But it's as well
1: disguised. As, not anymore, it's not. Oh, that's true.
2: Okay, fine. There's a lock.
1: <laughs> and uh, uh, also, you know, priceless artifacts um, that were written to uh, definitely not people in the future. Um, so she kind of drops it back off in somewhere in the office because she has to rush downstairs in a hurry because Roger comes barreling in with the scene that should have happened at the end of the last episode. Yep, (laughs) And it's great. Don't get me wrong, but it would have been even better as a cliffhanger. So having really clocked his uh, mysterious necklavy guest in the kisser, Roger drags in a person he would like to introduce. William Buckley McKenzie, his old friend from Alamance who. Saw his ass hanged because he thought he was flirting with his wife, who is, as we will be informed shortly, Rogers, great, 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 grandma. Something like that. Um, and then uh, Diarmid Murta, which do you think when he submitted his headshot and resume, they were like hired immediately without really doing anything else? I mean, I doubt it. The Outlander casting department is the tits, but presumably that gave him an edge. Yeah,
2: because even when we see him like with his hair back later, like looking a little more modern, so like, whoa, whoa, oh, oh God, you know, Terminator adjacent from the past. Yes, it's you. So yeah, he had to have.
1: Yeah, it's a good, the the name helps. Also, he, this man, I guess we're doing this now. Um, Even though we were sticking with Claire and Jamie first, but it's, there was a cross dissolve. We had to start somewhere. My point is, um, this man somehow manages to look a lot like Richard Rankin and a lot like Graham McTavish without uh, resembling either of them directly. When they had their scene across from each other, I was like, wow, that, he he looks a lot like Richard Rankin. But then you just kind of like lean back and you're like, huh, I can see. I can see a young Graham McTavish, the fucking Outlander casting department. Are, Are you just- saying
2: that Buck McKenzie is the have you seen this man of television? <laughs> he is totally <laughs> but
1: anyway patty we uh are going to continue with our little claire and jamie recap we'll get back to old buck mckenzie who uh slaps um shortly uh, our next time spent with claire and jamie claire is i think still writing is she still at her cute little writing mm-hmm. um, when jamie comes up because he has a present for her and she very passive-aggressively says, is it, I don't know, ducks or turkeys duck this tur- time? Yeah. Presumably, every time Jamie goes out to practice with his fancy-dancy sharpshooters, he's just bringing back dead animals. And Claire's like, enough with the dead
2: animals? But no, it's a book. It's a book. And then he goes on to explain, you know, it's bound and has words inside, which is exactly, this is Jamie doing Bridget Jones' diary. <laughs> Happens at the office. Well, it's it's called a publishing house. We take words and we bind them into little things we call books, Jones. Like, that's exactly what Jamie does to Claire. Uh,
1: for more information on why that is hot, even though it's kind of a dick move, please see episode of Sickburn Jane in which uh, we discuss why um, Hugh Grant is the best um, butthole in all of mm-hmm. The Pride and Prejudice canon, and also very hot, just like insanely hot.
2: Um, And speaking of insanely hot, Jamie gives Claire a book. He gives her a book. We do not learn
1: what book it is, which kind of bums me out. What do you have a hope of what you would hope it might be?
2: How to win friends and influence people.
1: (laughs) I hope it's Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. (laughs) (laughs) i'm one of those people one of those people who as a child um would read the never-ending story over and over again and then i would sneeze and then go back to the book and hope it would say and then bastion heard a mighty sneeze because (laughs) he had heard me so i really want claire to be like jesus h roosevelt oh it says jesus h roosevelt christ right there (laughs) um but it's probably something much more boring than that although who knows there, it's a book that made it all the way to some random river. But the point is not the title of the book. There are two points of the, the existence of this scene. Point one. Um... Claire needs glasses. And we get cute banter about how Claire needs glasses because she keeps holding the book far away from her. Katrina does a very nice job. It's very cute. The only time nagging is acceptable is when everybody is on board and it's fun and flirty and not a weird thing where you're trying to emotionally manipulate someone into being attracted to you. This is clearly Jamie being like, hey, old lady, you're old like me, but also older than me because remember, I was a virgin and you were already married Mm, i'm gonna buy you glasses for every day of the week uh it's very cute for sundays and then she says are you expecting me to read the bible he's like no (laughs) no way no but maybe say a prayer for me tonight we'll come back to that
2: um jamie also dunks on yes. the typesetting of oh, this, this book, is, which was the hottest this is the really
1: important thing. thing. This is, it's like, we've talked a lot in this little half season about little moments we thought were maybe secret shoutouts to the drunk cast. And I don't think that this moment was a secret shoutout to the drunk cast. I do think there's a chance that someone in Amelia and Bazel's life infiltrated the Outlander writer's room and wrote a joke especially for her.
2: It's it's 12 point. Gazlon. the gutters are tra- like he's like the gutters are trash. Uh, for context, listener, um, I did marry a man who has stet tattooed on his wrist, and that was the first thing that attracted me to him. That's a copy editing term. Jamie would know. Uh, so he would, he, yes, it's one of my They're,
1: favorite little um, ways to introduce good character details when you when you're on a t- when you're watching or reading or writing or w- reading when you're watching or writing a TV show for this long. Um, you've got a lot of different ways to sort of call back to earlier things. And the obnoxious way would have been, I mean, remember, I was a printer, Claire, back in the days right before you came, do you remember you came to my print shop? Um, And that would have been incredibly obnoxious. And instead, he just takes a little moment to be like, Yeah, the font on this thing sucks. And we are just grown up enough to remember that that was his whole bag. And that he loved printing. And that he was good at it. And also that he was a sneaky spy about it. And was printing uh, dangerous, rebellious traps. Mm -hmm. Um, And also accidentally quoting people who hadn't written things yet. Because he had a time-traveling wife. Who then disappeared. um, And yelled at a person on... The highway outside of Craig a place where I assume a lot of people, motorists, get yelled at. Anyway, (laughs) uh, it's more on that again in a couple of minutes. It's a great little scene. um, And that is almost a wrap because the next time we see Claire and Jamie, uh, Jamie shows up to say Ian captured a deserter. There is. Oh, my God. There are a lot of cool shots in this, but Amelia, did you clock the overhead shot when the deserter, whose name we never know, but who looks a lot like Jamie Bell for some reason, is running through the woods and it's overhead and he takes off his coat. coat. So there's a red dot and it becomes a white Mm -hmm. dot. It's such a cool little shot. It's really cool. Anyway, Ian almost shoots him with a bow and arrow which makes him one of the luckier uh, British people that we meet in this episode because he almost gets shot. Um, And uh, presumably the deserter takes one look at Scottish Terminator 2 and spills his guts about all of the things that are happening back at the camp, which is how the Americans know that General Burgoyne, one of several real historical-type figures in this episode and presumably for the rest of the show, um, is mustering... Shut up. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's mustered his troops Um, (laughs) to uh, prepare to take on the Americans, despite the fact that they have superior numbers, because the British Army is the best army in the world, plus they have champagne in coops, in coops, battlefield coops. You gotta love them. Um, So Jamie, uh, despite the fact that he is um, the Terminator and encased in plot armor, Um, looks very nervous and says, will you kiss me, Claire? And she says, always. Oh, important note. The hot piss scene previously Mm -hmm. ends on what you might call foreshadowing. When Claire says, you always come back to me, and if you don't, I'll go looking for you, and I'll motherfucking kill your ass. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's basically all we get of Claire and Jamie until the very last shot of the episode, which Amelia, what do we see in the pan across the battlefield corpse by
2: corpse 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 by corpse a mixture of regalia and there face down is one sexy quail (laughs) from the quail squad and we know that quail it's our favorite quail it's Jamie, face down in the mud.
1: Uh, in my notes, I wrote uh, that he was pinned into the mud by the weight of his impenetrable plot armor. Um, <laughs> if I am spoiling anything for you, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> but no, I don't, because anyone listening to this podcast has at least a rudimentary level of media literacy. Um, so you all know that Jamie's not dead, right? The show has been renewed for a whole other season and we're only halfway through the seventh one. The odds of season eight of Outlander being a Jamie free zone are basically zero. (laughs) This man is not dead. Just pro tip.
2: Or it's the twist of the century.
1: I mean, listen, there is a proud history of TV shows killing off lead or major supporting characters very unexpectedly to great and very memorable effect. Um, E.R. did it several times. Uh, One of the great recent examples is The Good Wife. If you were a Good Wife person, there is a very shocking unexpected main character death um, that was very vivid. I am not saying it doesn't happen. It absolutely does. However... (laughs) There are exceptions. And the show that's the time travel sexy romance war show. um, I mean, we know Jamie is technically dead in 1981 and Frank Randall does see his ghost. But uh, there is zero chance that that man dies on a battlefield uh, with a whole season and a half of TV to go. Just saying.
2: Or Jamie dies and Tom Christie comes back. Oh my God! <laughs> Claire would be like, not oh, that anyone in the story fine. wants that, but I want that. Yeah, I because I want to look at Mark Lewis Jones. You know what I would love? I would
1: love for Claire to be gearing up to go pioneer Barbie her way across the battlefield and look for her husband, her not dead husband. And just as she's exiting the tent, there's Tom Christie just dragging him through the mud because he's too heavy to lift. I brought you as your husband. You damned woman. I'm in the, <laughs> I'm extremely in love with you. So here's your husband. Gotta go. <laughs> Gotta go find some other were women I, to say which witches.
2: Were I a kitty? I would bring this like a mouse to your doorstep. <laughs> no, but <don't>. instead <laughs> Here's your, your husband. <laughs> here's your not dead husband.
1: Um so that it's the least Claire and Jamie episode since the Frank episode, I think. Yeah. Like, we don't always have Claire and Jamie. We almost always have Claire. We almost, almost always have Jamie. Yeah, it's very, it's um, almost unprecedented how little of them there is in this episode. And you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It's still a fun episode. It's a fun episode. The stuff we get of them is great. The the font banter i will never forget for as long as i live a, pl- a plus very on board um but we've got other stories to follow namely in this episode we've got scottish terminator 3 i'm not even really sure to where to start with this one because there's a lot of mm, it's like plot setup plus filler only the actors are all so good mm-hmm. that like i feel like maybe if specifically if the guy playing general fraser were going for it slightly less hard that man is delivering like that that dude is doing shakespeare all by himself like Mm -hmm. he is like in it he is playing a tragedy he is swinging away it's great um like maybe to your reference to the scales earlier i could have snuck away
2: during a little of it but then i would have missed william cutting an apple in half for no reason And as Allison said during the crowdcast as we were watching, well, now you got bugs on that apple.
1: Yeah, it just felt like, get back to me when you can slice an apple in half in the air with your sword and then catch it before it hits the ground. Come on. Um, Also, he's like, I'm not going to eat that. It's for my horse. And I'm happy for your horse, but like, dude, apples are good.
2: And (laughs) Willie does that partially to impress his battlefield bestie, His name is Sandy, but on the Slack, I'll have you know, Allison, that uh, they named him Elias Pound, the second round. That's hilarious. Um,
1: Elias Elias Pound, the the second round. That's extremely funny because what I've been calling him in my notes is Doomface Hot Edition. (laughs) <laughs> so same energy. Um
2: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, Doomface Hot Edition. The, I think it's implied in the teleplay that they've known each other longer than that because there's a reference to the beefsteak club. So they were probably mm-hmm. pals back in jolly old England. Um but we we met uh Doomface Hot Edition slash Elias Pound the second round last week when he brought Claire some stuff. Um and here he is looking hot stealing champagne from important general meetings um trying to eat an apple that was destined for a horse and talking about tits yeah it's a good short life uh so in this meeting what's st- in our first meeting in our first Willy meeting what stuck out to you
2: honestly all i see is battlefield coops that's all i see i am as blinded by the coops it's
1: It's good um, art direction, the coops are, and, like, the silver fruit bowl and all of the trappings of, like, fancy general life. Uh, Because, as we're reminded in a few other scenes, the British Army, they've been... The Americans have been burning crops as they're retreating um, because they are ruthless motherfuckers. And um, so the British are still... they're They're hungries a little. There's some... There's some pining for food, glorious food um, to which the street urchins of London would say up yours, motherfucker. How does it feel? Taste it. Taste the hunger. Now I just have Oliver stuck in my head. Uh, but there's Fruit Bowl. There's Battlefield Coops. Everybody is living kind of a decadent moment in this tent. There are not one but two actors who look like their 90s era Steve Zahn, um, mm-hmm. which is very confusing and one of them has wearing a mustache which (laughs) sort of makes it seem like they hired the same actor twice which they didn't but it's um now i just want steve zahn to be on outlander um surely they could find a place for him in the 80s yeah that's attainable someday let's pipe dream for season eight um But they're just General Burgoyne and General Grant and General and Captain Richardson, who is not at all suspicious. No, sir. Absolutely not. No No way. Uh Um, Are just talking about uh, the Americans and what their plans are. They're counting on General Howe to make up his way from make his way up from Albany so they can cut off the Americans and put an end to this war once for all. Spoiler. That's not what happens. Um. When they get a message that's um, from a good spy, presumably, which is wrapped in the tip of a quill. Oh, did yeah. you catch that? It's cool. <laughs> um, they send all of the little baby pompous rich generals out. So William and um, Doomface Hot Edition, oops, uh, both skedaddle and that's when they cut apples and talk about tits for the first time. Um they ask Richardson to stay. He comes back out and it's like, hey, Ellesmere, time for you to be a spy again. What is your read on that dude, as a person who has not read the books? What is your read on Richardson and his weird fascination with the worst spy in England? The worst spy My in England! England. Was he, that was not an intentional setup, but I am embracing it.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm with Julie in, he's looking for a patsy. He needs a patsy. He's gonna try to get Willie to take the fall for something. I think that
1: is a solid guess.
2: I don't know what the something is. Um but yeah, so then I guess all the better when later on Willie goes up to you know, Colonel Fraser, Colonel Daddy, kind of, is kind of the is the is feeling there, very like paternal Which is, relationship. Uh great,
1: because they are in fact well, are related.
2: Mat- <laughs> ah, <laughs> um.
1: Because General Fraser is the whatever distant cousin of the old fox, Simon Lord Lovett, of being duped by Claire pretending to be psychic fame. Um, Oh, shit. Yeah, he's the one where Jamie was like, listen, Fort Ticonderoga butthole, um, I know this guy. He is a crafty motherfucker, and if you don't put some people defending that there mountainous hill situation, they're going to claim it because Highlanders are uh, wily bastards. And, um, of course, Jamie was right, but maybe he shouldn't have fired a cannonball at Fort Con- Ticonderoga. Just um, so yeah. an idea. So they are, every time they have a scene together, they're related. Mm-hmm. It's
2: very um, Buck Roger, but not. But not. But yeah, it makes me glad that Willie tells Colonel Daddy, just kidding, I don't want to be a messenger. I want to go to war. Yes, Willie, just pivot your way out of being a patsy is my dream for you. And eventually it is wartime. I have a n- note about, where is it?
1: Um, about what Roger, what not Roger, what Willie says when he says, hey, please uh, let me, please Colonel Daddy. <laughs> um, I am no errand boy. I am a true soldier is what he said, Um, which of course what he means is I am no errand boy. I am a true Scottish Terminator, which we will find out in short fucking order so um general fraser colonel daddy it's like yeah okay you can stay that's really dumb of you um but hey you're brave so sure you stay and we can all die together he's the only one of them that seems at all fatalistic other than william when he actually wraps his mind around what war is which i appreciate like Maybe it's a, for General Fraser at least, maybe it's a Highland thing. Maybe it's just, like, decency. I don't fucking know. But we see a lot of the higher-ups being like, Papa, we have one. Give me my battlefield coop. And General Fraser seems to be the only one thinking about death and sacrifice. And I need to hear, Amelia, you continue to talk about this storyline for a second while I pull up that actor's name, because that motherfucker was excellent.
2: Yes. So eventually it is battle time and Willie is high up enough that he gets to like boss around the guys getting arranged in their little front lines. Fix the bayonets. Meanwhile, over on the side, he and Sandy are like, you know, having some little chit chat, you know, some lighthearted battlefield chit chat as you have. And Sandy starts to be. Like, oh, so whose tits do you like better? This token woman who's probably on this scene or the other token woman who is available in this scene? And just as Willie starts to say, like, well, I do like a girl I probably won't see again. Her name is Rachel. Boom. First shot is fired from the the, the rebels. And it goes straight into uh the doom face, the hot additions hot <laughs> hot forehead there is a cool moment where like blood comes down from below his hat brim and then it starts to shoot out forward and then it just like drenches his face and he falls that was cool i liked it you know who didn't like that willie didn't like that because that was his friend that was so his willie friend. hits the dirt the chaos of war breaks out around him um distantly in in all of, like the dust and like the almost like the visual adrenaline of it all you hear colonel daddy like your man! join your men, join your men and that is when the terminator when terminator three is awakened he's unleashed it is
1: uh first of all i don't know that it was an intentional saving private ryan reference but amelia have have you seen that no. you've never seen saving private Ryan. No, it's extremely deathy. Um, you could. No, I was going to say maybe you could just skip to some of the. There's no way you can just skip through Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> anyway, there is a very famous shot in Saving Private Ryan in the like very famous D-Day scene, mm-hmm. where uh an idiot youngster gets shot right in the um helmet and a bullet or something goes ricocheting off the top of it and he freezes and it's like holy shit and he takes off his helmet to look at where the bullet ricocheted off and it probably gets shot in the head um it is extremely shocking but and like such a um it's a very memorable moment in the movie because it's such a human reaction to be that goddamn stupid you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you think oh my God, this helmet saved my life. I have to see how close this was. Not thinking about the second bullet, not thinking about mm-hmm. the person that fired that first one and how they may still have their sights trained on you. You feel like you've escaped death, so you've escaped death forever. Anyway, he doesn't escape death at all, but but maybe Willie does, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. Yeah. It's the first shot of the whole battle, and it's a doozy, almost like it was shot. By a sexy quail From a great distance From a distance distance. I'm killing doom Face hot edition (laughs) Um So Scottish Terminator He Clearly um Channels his inner Jamie Fraser Which he doesn't know is there Um And just takes off at a full tilt run, letting out a blood-curling scream, much like the the men of the motion picture classic braveheart which is what angus McFadden who plays general fraser is best known for he played oh. robert the bruce in braveheart um he was also in superman and lois the tv show on cw the like very last gasp of the arrowverse um it looks like he played robert the bruce again in a movie called robert the bruce um <laughs> He has done a bunch of British TV. Um, he played Alistair Crowley and Strange Angel, um, which was a Paramount Plus show from 2019 that I quite liked. Anyway, he's a, he's a busy working man, but he's uh, good. So Willie takes off running, having been wakened by Colonel Daddy, and is slicing into people like they're apples.
2: <laughs> like they're they're apples. He's armed only with his saber. He does. If he has a gun, he's not pulling it out. I don't think he has guns out. Like, he has a cute little pistol. This is the fucking Revolutionary War. He brought a knife to a gunfight and he is killing the most people. He's killing so many people. He is
1: looking hot whilst covered in blood, a family trait. And when we leave him, he is uh, not using his saber. He is choking the life out of someone with his bare hands. It's a. The bloodline runs strong. <laughs> it's uh pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Um, Amelia, imagine that you're a sexy quail and you are. So I don't have to, imagine. It's true. Uh, a Revolutionary War era sexy quail. Ah, okay, yes. And you're okay. staring down at the battlefield, beyond mm-hmm. the barricade, if you will, mm-hmm. um, at a world you long to see. Um, And you're thinking, should I join in the fight that will give us the right to be free? Um, I could keep going, but I shan't. Uh, And you see a handsome young lad choking the life out of a dude with your bare hands. Do you think you'd think, oh, that's my son? Like, do you think think the Terminator vibes coming off of Willie are so potent that Jamie would just know?
2: Well, I guess if we're not going with a theory of Jamie shot Doomface. I am firmly going with
1: the theory that Jamie shot Doomface, by the way.
2: Okay. Well, then I guess in this scenario, then Willie wouldn't have necessarily been on the battlefield in that scenario. So then this would be. Yeah, no, either way, I think Jamie's like, yeah, that's the one. Or I guess if speaking as a sexy quail, I would say I admire that young fellows spunk so much that I will join on the battlefield and peck out his opponent's eyes with my little beak. That's What I would do—that's how I would show my respect.
1: Well, and you would know, being a, a mm-hmm. contemporary sexy quail. Yes, um, who is not a gun owner? It should be said. It's just that the, the bloodline character. does run deep. The bloodline is—it's uh, blood will tell, as they say. Speaking of the witches, get—we'll talk about Buck Mackenzie again in a little bit. Um, so, post battle, Willie is sitting around being real at what they would eventually call shell shocked, um, battle worn. When he hears one of his grunts, uh, understandably, must be said, pissing and moaning about having to march in the mud and then fight in the mud and then dig in the mud to bury muddy corpses. And William is having none of that. What, what do you think his objection is here, Amelia?
2: Because you know, he, wants, he wants Sandy to have a respectable death and not get dug, dug up by animals. I don't know. What, do you, what? There's a joke here that I missed it. So how about you tell me what the oh, joke? Oh no, was? there's
1: no joke. I, I, oh, okay. I was, just, I was just teeing you up to talk ah, about yes. uh, the image of animals dragging British corpses out of their tiny muddy graves. Um, I keep. I just keep thinking about Rollo. Do you think Rollo has eaten human flesh, like for fun, or nourishment? Probably. He's a he's a hungry, growing lad. Mm-hmm. Do you think Rachel would let that
2: him like have snuggles him at night? <laughs> so say so, yeah, you wouldn't let Rollo have any of the biscuits that Rachel offered back at, at the medicine house. So yeah, um, oh yeah, they totally snuggle. Oh, you know they snuggle. You know that like Rollo puts his little snout on her shoulder. Oh yeah,
1: and, and like puts a protective like, paw on her bonnet. That's not hygienic, and she says, "I don't give a fuck." Yeah. I'm sure we will. You know, that's a ding I have in this episode. Could have used more Rachel. Mm -hmm. I just want Rachel in all the episodes. Yes, please. Um, So post, uh, William is like, nope. we are digging because they are not going to die on the battlefield and then be um, British jerky for for, um, dogs. We're not doing that. Um, He goes and sits in a tent and uh, Colonel Daddy... (laughs) (laughs) General Daddy, um, Daddy, comes over and sits down and says, um, you're a different man after this battle. He quotes Aeschylus, which is a much, I just love it when British people say Aeschylus, um, which William then continues the quote like a reply guy. (laughs) Just couldn't leave it as is. Anyway, William is sitting there and you can see running across his face. That he's thinking, wow, there's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain, goes on and on. Empty, well, I guess there aren't really any chairs or tables because the battlefield, empty, empty, empty coops on empty tables. <laughs> now my friends are dead. And go, now my friend are dead. <laughs> <And your> friend. <laughs> Here they talk of not revolution. Here it was, they stole the champagne. Here they talked about some boobies, but the boobies never came. <laughs> um, I, could, I could keep going, folks. I um, am hoping you all know that's a a Rob joke, but if not, I have never, with one exception, seen something in a drama where I thought, this is where they're going to do the a Rob bit. Because that man was just, he just desperately, I don't know, if Charles VanderVart sings, I promise you he listened to that, like, if that guy has a music theater background in any way, shape, or form, he listened to that song 15 times on the oh, day yeah. they shot that scene. It's a uh, huge Empty Chairs and Empty Tables energy. The exception, as always, is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, when they did a parody of Empty Chairs and Empty Tables about a man realizing he had never given his wife an orgasm in his life, and they shot it, like... The Tom Hooper lame is Rob, and it is extremely funny. I urge you to go watch it. It's called "The Buzzing from the Bathroom." Bathroom. It is um, filthy. So that's about it. He's sad. He has a sad. I'm sad. His friend are dead and gone. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Doomface. He died. He was yeah, so that's hard. a wrap.
2: But you know what? Rap on Elias Pound.
1: Sometimes you play in a role and you get essentially like an episode and a half, because really it was one scene plus three or four scenes in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could be easy to just not really go for it, but they gave that guy some solid writing. And I thought, in, let me you know, pull up his name. I thought, in particular, um, his pivot to talking about titties. <laughs> Mm -hmm. was really well played because it was so obviously a young man who is just fucking terrified coming up with a way to distract himself. Yeah. Um, Henry Ashton uh, just, you really just really killed it. It's the, again, Outlander casting department this season, no fucking skips, Mm -mm. no whammies, all great. Um, this man, this is his second ever credit.
2: Wow. Uh,
1: he was in something called Creation Stories in 2021. And then he's in production on My Lady Jane playing Lord Stan Dudley, um, uh, which I don't know. It's a TV series. Um, It says history's most tragic heroines, but it reimagined them with an uplifting twist. The damsel in distress saves herself and then the kingdom. Presumably this is Lady Jane Grey. Um, Uh. If it's history's tragedies, King Edward. Anyway, whatever. I'm going to watch this young man's career with interest because he's very good. Okay, so Buddy's dead now. So let's go back to the '80s. Whoa, where do we even start? Are we on? Did you just open another thing? Are we on beverage? two? Yeah, add a on
2: beverage too. Man, waiter,
1: Ta- Tom. <laughs> <laughs> is he not accustomed <laughs> to responding to waiter? He's done it before. It was my pa- my pandemic go to. Is I would yell, "Waiter, bring me another mai tai." Hey, Tom. He just said, I I heard you say like, God damn it, I knew you were calling me. I thought I just heard you say something like, Waiter, would you bring me another beverage? Yes, what would
0: you. What
1: would you like? I would like another beer, please. Yeah. Thank you. Wait, huh? Wait, huh? <laughs> it was for you, babe. You're welcome. Um, it's just we have to talk about the 80 storyline, dude. You don't understand. It's intense. I, it. I, it. I want to kick off this section. By um talking about how fucking good Diarmid Murta is. Thanks, Han. Yeah. Um, because that guy, he's good. He, he's good. First of all, hashtag let outlander be funny. I laughed out loud, as they say. I L'd O L'd at multiple points. A lot of them thanks be to the costume department and/or the props department. One. That robe. Can we talk about the robe? Oh my god, it's the best. It's such a good gag. It's I don't know why it's so funny. It's just a robe. But when Roger at the we'll do the whole story. But when Roger at the at the end before they go tearing off to crack the dune, um, goes charging into the living room to get Buck off the couch that they've s- splayed him out on. Um, un, good old Uncle Buck. Um, he is wearing a shorty plaid robe yeah he is like he was born into it but also it is just extremely funny mm-hmm. it's really funny it's funny when he's sitting on the couch watching tv <laughs> with the children why is that funny
2: and like and mandy's brushing his beard with a doll brush and he's just like yep this is my life no yep
1: um it's funny when he's eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like his entire life depends on it It sticks to your ribs it's, you feed this yeah. to your parents. Um, It's funny when he's wearing a hard hat and it's <laughs> one of only two people in the entire episode to go, Rob Cameron, you're a piece of shit. Your name is pronounced like this as he lifts two fingers to the camera. It's, it's just, it's funny when he gets the head walloping realization that he attempted to murder his own great-grand, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson. It's funny even in the, the emotionally fraught climax of this storyline when they are racing to Craig Nadune first in the car, Roger is talking about writing his hitchhiker's guide to flipping my brock and traveling in time and says, Galus Duncan, why did I, I wrote about why did I write that? And there, you just get this vibe of like, seriously, why did you write that? Like what? Why didn't, why would you do that? And then they show up and they're about to go racing up the hill and credit to Richard Rankin. Cause the other reason this is so funny is him. He hands this man a flashlight and goes charging like full dad in emergency mode up the hill. And, and he just kind of buck just kinds of looks at it and he goes, it's a torch. Come on. <laughs> and it's so, I don't know why it's so funny, but it's so funny. It's, it it seems like it would be an impossible line to walk because he is not playing for jokes. He is playing pure, like, 80s comedy, man unstuck in time shit, right? Like, it's classic Mm -hmm. jokes, very familiar bits. But he doesn't play any of them like they're jokes. He just plays it, and somehow it's funny. Yeah. I'm a big fan. We're going to have to make a T-shirt. What goes on the the diarmid murta t-shirt
2: i mean do we take the uncle buck poster idea from social and just put it on a put on a shirt we just it's the uncle buck movie poster but we put all the characters faces on it um or no we can do better than that i mean i think that um, that is a
1: solid option
2: Ooh, or like how there are those like tuxedo illusion t-shirts <laughs> it's just a <laughs> robe, robe illusion t-shirt
1: <laughs> maybe it's like um the big Lebowski images where you see it's just the dude wearing the sweater and like his sunglasses and holding his drink, but it's just a guy and he's in like eight like 1777 era boots and oily hair and he's just wearing a shorty robe and drinking a weed ram and a hard hat. Because the hard hat mm-hmm. also so funny. It's so funny. So um Cheers to that guy, because he fucking rules. Yeah. He gets dragged into the Lallybrock to explain himself. And basically says, hey, so after Alamance, I ran out of money. Morag had a cousin who was successful in Inverness, and I used to be a lawyer, casual, I used to be a lawyer, drop. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like my alma mater in Boston. Um, uh, so they went to go meet up with him for him to take this job and then all of a sudden he heard this terrible noise that was coming from these stones so he went to investigate on his own and whoops he woke up in 1980 with these monstrous carriages roaring by at Craig Kregnadoon so presumably what happens is he woke up with a jewel missing from his ring he ran mm-hmm. out to the expressway stopped a hapless motorist let's hope it was the same guy and just screamed who
2: won the battle of <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and then he uh is rightfully asked, "Okay, so that all makes sense, but how did you end up at lallybrock s- terrifying my children?" And he says, "I saw you going into a shop in Inverness." And I think that that means that it is canon that Roger lured the Nuckelavee to his home by thrifting. <laughs> I think that's canon mm-hmm um let's see uh peanut butter sandoz oh roger leaves Bree to have whiskey explained to her by a man to go check the mm-hmm. family tree um where it says that buck died in the year of our lord 78 which is when he disappeared. 55 hmm Hmm. what what what
2: I got my number scrambled.
1: Carry on. I also got my number scrambled, but I was worried I have the wrong one. Whatever. The year he left. It's, I thought it was 1778, but the year is 1777. Whatever fucking year he left, it's when he tells them he left is the year that it mm-hmm. says he died. And Roger says, what? No, I didn't find a family tree. I also didn't uh, notice that the box of very important letters and gold musket balls was unlocked. Um, let's continue our chat oh no, there's a car pulling up and Bree says, ooh, it's Fiona and the kids, but it's not. Amelia, who is it?
2: It's Rob Double Barrel Cameron. There to Two eat some fucking wontons. middle little fingers up. Here to eat some wontons. He's here unannounced with a bottle of red. Thought I'd pop by. Oh my god. Listen. It's a good time. It's one thing to invite yourself
1: to dinner in conversation, right? But who the fuck shows up unannounced at at best an acquaintance's house mm-hmm. and just expects to be fed and watered and amused?
2: I mean, I guess you can say Rob Cameron has follow through. That's one thing he has.
1: She'll be able to put that on his um, yearly review, annual review. Yes. Mm-hmm um pros commitment initiative follow through
2: doesn't optimize for optics yes because that guy's a nerd cons kidnaps children
1: hits on boss terrible taste in clothes why are they all the exact same shade of poop brown
2: and forgets to send his slack away messages with regularity
1: yes Yes. Get it together, Rob Cameron. Yeah, come on, Rob Cameron. Um, so he's shown up to invite himself to dinner. Roger shoves Buck in the old priest hole, which he's like, okay, I've been here before. It's got... Got another sandwich? Great. He's, he gets handed a stack of two sandwiches on a plate and no beverage. Let's review this. That man does not have a beverage with him, and he is handed two white bread and peanut butter sandwiches. Are they, To keep him
2: quiet. He can't open his fucking mouth. <laughs> Yeah, his teeth are going to be glued together. It's either that
1: or they're trying to kill him, because that man is going to die of thirst.
2: So Rob just shows up and is
1: immediately like, hey, um, how's it going, Gov? Ooh, you're cooking. Roger nags his wife about cooking some more. Not my favorite thing. This man still earns his beard at the end of the episode and also through the orgasm we're going to discuss, but but he's got some weak points. N- namely, the, the letters we're about to chat about, but also... Um, Constantly dunking on Brie for her cooking? That woman invented matches. Lay off. Yeah. Get it together. She birthed two children for you. She forgave his ass when he was a huge fucking baby after she traveled in time and got uh, pregnant. And um, he had to go, like, trounce through the woods and measure things to deal with his fucking feelings. All of that stuff. And he's like, but you know what? She makes shitty spaghetti eat shit roger why am i mad at roger now Uh, it's okay all will be forgiven when he wears a kilt in a little bit Um, oh my god it's he that man really can wear a fucking kilt Mm. and then in addition to inviting himself over rob cameron says hey i wanted to look at your father's hymnals so he brings him up to the study and then leaves him leaves him unattended in the room with the mysterious box of time travel letters. Amelia, you had a good point about this, about specifically what he read in this box. Share your question.
2: Oh, is this where I was wondering how deep into the collection he read? Presumably because, pretty fucking deep, right? Well, and yeah, and that's, like I mean, like, obviously, you know, kidnapping, endangerment, eating all your wontons without any notice, like all egregious. But there's something about the idea that he broke all those seals and that he read like deeper into, I guess the the past as it were like, and beat Brianna to her own letters that like, like really has me very upset.
1: Me too. That was something that occurred to me as well because of the, um, the carelessness of it. Like just seeing the, the li- it's, very, it's weird to call it staging, but it, it is. It's so effective seeing just the little corner of the letter sticking out because you know Brie would never, ever, those letters would be very carefully folded and she's probably got them sorted in order, mm-hmm. right? Like which ones she's read and which ones she hasn't. But Roger is a historian and Brie loves her mommy. So those letters would be well cared for. There is not a universe in which one of them has a little piece of a letter sticking out of that box. No way. Absolutely not. It's probably torn. Those are artifacts. What is this man's problem? (sighs) Also, I'm curious. Again, having read the books, you have not. We're just jumping all around. Like Buck McKenzie, jumping all around in time here. What is your read on what it is that Rob Cameron is hoping to accomplish, having somehow sussed out that time travel exists?
2: Well... Oh, oh, no. The answer I think is likely is also very boring. So I hope I'm wrong. Hit me. I'm going to be so pissed if he wants to turn back time just to like win back his French wife, because we do get that whole (laughs) thing at the end of like, I'm divorced. My wife was French. She was rich. She took the kid. I'm sad. And if he went through all that trouble just to try to win her back. I'm going to be very angry. So what's the next dumbest thing that I think this little shit weasel might do? Because I do not recall, so if there have been clues, I missed them just in terms of like historical stakes or like ancestral stakes um, beyond, you know, going back in time to patent the poop brown color that he wears and marrying into the Pantone family just so he can like (laughs) reap all of those rewards. (laughs) I do wonder if it is a reaping of rewards kind of thing. Like, is it kind of the world where I'm like, God damn it, if I had just a little bit of knowledge and like a thousand dollars, I would invest in Apple and I'd be so comfortable like in 1987 and then be so comfortable today. Like, is would Rob Cayman try to do that? I just I just don't trust him to have a a choice, a motive that is interesting because this guy sucks so much. Yes. And so I'm yeah, so I'm just trying to I'm trying to like deduce the wet farts of time travel. <laughs> that makes the story like interesting for us, but not worth the journey, you know, like w- like Uh, the the table stakes like the table stakes are going to suck and then everything's going to be awesome hopefully trying to get people back so i don't know i don't
1: know i think your assessment is really sound i i'll be honest i remember a lot about what happens in the plot and not a ton about what his motivations are i remember sort of where they lead him um so i won't say a ton but i really like the idea that we've encountered a character who's like ooh, time travel that's going to let me know the lottery numbers. You know what I mean? Like something yeah. really boring and shitty. Mm-hmm. Like I find that Ooh, I have
2: another one. Ooh, let's do a runner. Me. Let's let's do a runner. Uh, we'll, we'll set an emotional timer, 30 seconds, runner of more stupid reasons Great. that we think that guy, that fucking guy, that fucking guy, like, this, you know, you know, that he's the Ken singing at you for four hours like <laughs> what is what is this can oh my god <laughs> what is what is this can gonna do okay and that brings me to the reason I've, i started this he's gonna go back in time and try to keep the beatles from breaking up <laughs> he's gonna like detain yoko's taxi because you know that he blames yoko you know that he blames yoko totally okay 100 so he's gonna he's gonna fuck with yoko's routine okay next stupid reason allison go
1: um he's going to go back to try to prevent, um, I've mixed up the order of my bonds. Let's say Sean Connery from being cast as James Bond, because it's just, he's just not a good fit. He's just not a good fit.
2: Yeah. Um, he is going to assert the dominance of the cinema industry. And so it doesn't go to California, but instead comes to Scotland. He is going
1: back in time to meet his French wife's mom to seduce her, to then be able to sick burn his wife by saying, Oh yeah, I fucked your mom when she was 19 years old. <laughs> I'm your dad now, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but you know. <laughs> and that's All right. a no no one more. Reasons. Give us one more give us one more um besides fucking memo (laughs)
2: um rob got razor burn when he was shaving two days ago and he was really pissed about it because he wanted to look hot for gov um so oh i've got one
1: more i've got one more rob travels in time to make it so he never eats in the damn cafeteria ever again because one time he figured out that the lady who makes the nice profiteroles that Brie talks about hates him so much that she always spits in his food so he's consumed a lot of spit so he goes back in time to tell his slightly younger self to never eat
2: in the cafeteria and that's canon now that's all canon (laughs) spit food
1: (laughs) okay Rob Cameron sucks is what we're saying um You know, I feel like this is a good way of approaching this. Let's finish up our Rob Cameron talk. So at the end of the world's worst dinner party, which by the way, I am a little bummed because maybe my favorite TV trope of all time is the ruined dinner party. It's never not funny. Um, Anytime there's a dinner party and something goes wrong, you just know that things are going to be very entertaining and stupid. Even in a drama, like, people are getting in fights and people are drinking too much and food. There's always, like, a food situation and someone drops a plate in shock and, like, it's, it's the best. It's not ruined enough. Um, Buck should have come in at some point. That really would have. Mm-hmm. F- Ooh, sorry. And then he walks away with his PB&Js. Um, also, we should say this. The dinner is when it becomes apparent that Mandy um, recognizes that Rob Cameron is full of shit, which means that there are two people in this storyline that somehow recognize that Rob Cameron is full of shit. I guess three. I keep wanting to say Hilda. I do not remember the cafeteria, the lunch lady's name, Mm -hmm. but we'll say Hilda. So it's three. Hilda of the Profiteroles, Mandy McKenzie, and Buck McKenzie. (laughs) are all like you suck and for some reason Brianna and roger are like no he doesn't oh
2: he's lonely he's the divorcee
1: brianna he literally locked you in a cave system what the fuck he made you walk through time travel dick rock jizz what the fuck this man is bad news yeah the only good thing this man ever did with you is make your husband angry enough to fuck you real good that's Mm -hmm. the only good thing this man has ever done Apologies to his child, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume that his kid sucks at least a little bit too. Yeah, Although maybe I'm not sure. nature versus nurture. My nice French girl wife took him back to France, where so he's it's currently four p.m. and this twelve-year-old is drunk somewhere, <laughs> um, just eating some haricots verts and having some daddy issues. <laughs> um, so. He snooped in the study. He's invited himself to dinner. He's pretended to be good with children, with Jim, talking about turbines. He then invites himself to stay for a fucking nightcap. Can you imagine the audacity? And then finally he leaves and says... "Uh." does Jem want to come watch a movie with Bobby? He can stay the night with Bobby too. This is not his child. This is his sister's child. He is inviting a child to stay at the house of someone he is related to, but is not right. Like Uh he is volunteering his sister for a sleepover. Um, As we will later learn, his sister also seems to know that he sucks. Amelia, you did you have something you wanted to add? I feel like I cut you off.
0: Um,
2: um, we're good. Carry on. He just sucks so much. The flames are on the side of my face, and you could feel them. Um, So they finally get him out of the goddamn house. We
1: go to investigate the priest hole.
2: He's gone. Where's Buck?
1: Watching TV. Do you know what he's watching, Amelia? Do you know what that show is? We have two Uh, classic TV references in this episode.
2: Is it the same show where um, in Mad Men, Sally... Flicks the bean to it and gets caught at the sleepover. Is it that the same space show?
1: I don't know. I don't remember what show that is. It's a space show, but do you know what that space show is called? Um, shoot my brock into space. I wish. It's called Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth <gasps> century, which is why Are you fucking. Kidding when me? Mandy is brushing his beard, she says, "You're Buck and Daddy's Roger," because Buck wow, Rogers. Wow. It's cute, right? Like it's, that is cute. It is entirely too on the nose, but I sort of embrace it because then we get that great moment yeah. of him going, Astra, no. If my Latin if my says Latin Latin men, it's so me. charming. But yeah, he's not in the priest hole. He is hanging out with Jim and Mandy, who found they were supposed to be getting ready for bed. Were they? No. They were springing the Nuklavi from Priest Hole jail and watching TV with him in the camper van. It's extremely cute. <laughs> Why? I love that. That man, it's, this is another one of those storylines that I thought for sure they were going to have a hard time with, like the Christie's, where if you paint with broad strokes, it's impossible to get you on board in the way that you need to be on board for it to work, right? I was, mm-hmm. I was dreading Malva Christie because I did not think the show could do it. And to its credit, and specifically to Jessica Reynolds' credit, they absolutely did. And I think they're doing this here, too, because, again, this mother... Maybe that recasting helps in the situation, because this motherfucker tried to murder Roger for talking to his wife. Yep. And unleashed on him a profound emotional trauma and on us a divisive episode which is filmed in part like a silent movie which has a lot of detractors so he I blocked that part out yeah he mm-hmm. has a lot to answer for and yet he's talking about Astra not and I'm like you are the most charming slime ball I love you so much don't ever leave me he's great am I wrong he's great am I overreacting I no, I love him. Yeah. Really, another really, really solid addition to the cast. Um, just doing really, really well. So uh, post-TV watching, Brie and Roger have a little chat. Roger's like, oh, well, you know now he's Cousin Buck. And once I told him, he was my great, 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 great granddad. He got on board. I forget, once I beat the snot out of him, I forgave him. We should let him sleep in the house. And Brie goes, <gasps> No, but they decide to let him sleep on the couch which again i don't know why that's so funny but the idea of that man sleeping on a couch is extremely funny to me and then Bree says i don't want him in the house by himself and roger says well i can't bring him to school school. so she brings him to the dam he wears a hard bring your buck to work day i wrote i specifically wrote hold on bring your buck and mandy have shitty dude radar roger kilt. Maybe you could... Oh, he's, he shouldn't be allowed to bring airplanes back in time. By the way, that's not a great idea. It's a bad idea. Um, it's a space room. Uh, bring... God damn it. It was funny. Ah, bring your... Another whatever it is. I'm no errand boy. Lovely French girl. Astronaut. Cousin Buck. Take your time-traveling homicidal great-granddad to work day. But you know what? It's good that he did that. That she did because he got to wear a hard hat. He got to look at mountains. He got to have some complicated feelings about his family. Bree got to sense that maybe he doesn't want to go back. Presumably, we'll learn learn more about that in the future. And he got to notice that Rob Cameron was maybe touching Bree a little extra much. And he says that man has the hots for you. And she goes, "Uh, "It's called being nice." Nice. Because apparently, this brilliant young woman has learned nothing i mean we've all been fooled by a rob cameron oh yeah but brianna again he locked you in a tunnel system and then he He invited himself to your house and ate your wontons
2: monster total monster um back home the workday is over roger is wearing his Cute, cute outfit with yeah. his season seven blue sweater and his kilt. He and his small rim and his knee socks.
1: Looks so fucking good.
2: Being so cute. Tidying his desk. And there's, he doesn't notice the corner of the letter hanging out of it yet. It
1: takes him so long to notice the corner of the letter hanging out. I have a brief important question, Amelia. Hmm. Do you think Jeff would ever wear a kilt? I bet he could be convinced. Are you going to try to make that happen when you're in? Yield Scotland. I am now. Yeah, you are. Fuck yes. Yeah, yeah,
2: I feel like he could pull one off. I think he could. Jeff is Amelia's He's husband. A ginger. Folks. He is a ginger. He also has like a blue Henley, not dissimilar to what Roger's wearing. And when we were in Nova Scotia like five years ago, we were in like this little tiny town, and the rest, like the owner of the restaurant we were in, walked right up to Jeff and just goes, "I know you." thought that he was related to someone in this town of like a that like in stars hollow nova scotia (laughs) i was insistent that like he he used to live there he's related to somebody he's somebody's dad so we joke he has a a secret nova scotia family (laughs) my mom gets him nova scotia tartan things for christmas this is a whole thing that we do this bit won't die i'm just saying if he is very believable in nova scotia in you know actual scotia i think I think we could work with that. I think we could work in with Scotia that in Scotia
1: proper. Yeah, um amazing. Okay, so okay. he's looking through. He's
2: cute. He's looking around. It's very quiet in the house. Hmm, where's where's old grandpa? And Buck's in the camper van, marveling over the toy yeah. airplane, fondling an airplane. That's it. Uh, basically, Buck tells Roger, you know, Rob has a hot eye for your wife. Roger's like, LOL, no please don't. And Buck's like, okay, I just thought that was the, it was the right thing to do to tell you. Oh, well. But that gets a little... A little something gets riled up in Roger. Enough moments of hot for your wife. And they're making the bed later that night. Brie and Roger, with their fabulous floral sheets.
1: And then they bang it out to Phil Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> to um, the do air you tonight. think that Outlander has just dropped the... Brianna has a hard time orgasming thing or are we meant to believe that this time was different? My sense was that they've just dropped it.
2: <sighs> yeah. I feel like it's, it's, a lo- it's a long road to road to, oh, it's, a, <laughs> it's, just, it's a it's a complicated issue and without getting to Cinemax how are we going to really work through the orgasm thing. So yeah, I think they just dropped it.
1: Well, in this case, she definitely comes. She feels it coming through the air tonight. Hold on. She's been waiting for this moment for all her life. Hold on. Uh, how did you feel about the sex scene? It was apparently divisive. I, I loved it. Apparently,
2: it was a divisive. I, yeah, I loved it. Um, I I mean, Allison, you had a great point about the facial expressions that I'll let you make, but it was the right mix of they seemed very comfortable with each other, but it also seemed like they were still, like, actively interested in what was going on. It was, you know, it was it was a spicy twist on what other guys might be a position they've known and that we just haven't seen them do before. But it just seemed like they were very engaged. Um, but facial expression-wise, Allison, take it away.
1: Yeah, there has apparently been some, ooh, well, Sophie Skelton made some weird faces. And I just... Y'all, if you're having really good sex, you're absolutely not worried about what your face is doing. Like, yeah. that's the whole point. It if, if an actor doing a sex scene wants to do a good job telling the story of I'm having really good sex, like really good, immediate primal sex that's human beings are animals and that's maybe when it's most apparent that we're animals is when we're fucking and enjoying it and I really appreciate it like there's this moment when I re watch a day for notes there's this moment when she sort of ends up with his nose in her mouth yeah and that was so not that I spend a lot of time with people's noses in my mouth but that was so recognizable to me as like I cannot I'm so busy having this physical experience and sensation that I'm just breathing and feeling, and I cannot be bothered to think about whether or not it's weird that your nose is in my mouth. Like yeah. you just become, a uh, like a vessel for sensation. That is, that's what it is. And the less vanity that you have going into a sex scene, which really, that's why part of why one of the many reasons why intimacy coordinators and outlander clearly has an excellent intimacy coordinator or team of intimacy coordinators. I'll have to check. It's, I mean, it's very visually appealing, right? They are two beautiful people. They look good together. They've done an interesting thing where it looks like, um, Brie is really tan presumably from, because her job is outside. You know what I mean? Like she's Mm -hmm. just, she looks like she's just got, like a little suntan in a very natural kind of way. Um but they they look good together. The bedding is beautiful. The thing they're doing where the blanket is sort of wrapped around them is really hot. Um it it looks visually very appealing because of the way that it's staged but because it's staged so well that gives both of them and Sophie in particular but both of them the opportunity to just worry about conveying what the experience is like without having to worry about what their bodies are doing so they're Mm -hmm. able to communicate some of that unself consciousness and that lack of vanity that when you've fully given yourself over to an experience um you have right. No one who is having yeah. a mind-blowing orgasm is thinking about whether or not their back is arched and their tits are up. Like right. no one is thinking about whether or not their face is doing something pretty, because um, they're too busy like having an earth-shattering come. You know what I mean? They're too busy right. breaking all of the windows in the big house with the violence of their passion. Um, and I really appreciate that's something that Outlander has done quite a number of times. Um, not so much in the first season, but the first season was more romance novel And also there were a lot of slow burn sex scenes, right? Like a lot yeah. of... And even then we still like... Katrina is very good at this too, right? She's very good at... I'm having this experience and feeling physically sort of um, free in a way that's really good storytelling and also makes it seem like these people are having hot sex on the regular, um, both the characters and the people doing the sex scenes because they know what hot sex looks like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I was a big a, appreciator of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really well art directed and really well acted. And those actors are very comfortable together. And also it was just nice to see some fucking.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Although, would you say that what's in the air tonight, at least for Roger is Brianna's breath. Cause his nose is in her mouth. Mm-hmm. That's what's in the air Yeah, but presumably it was his turn to cook. so Because it was
1: Brianna's turn the night before. So presumably, if it smelled like garlic or whatever, he has no one to blame but himself. So true. I hope it's not peanut butter, because then they would both just be thinking about Buck.
2: Fucking to Buck. (laughs) It's the the trend that's sweeping the nation. (laughs) Um, So we've already talked quite a lot
1: about the big reveal that gem is missing um but basically psychic baby connection makes mandy wake up screaming in the middle of the night uh when roger finally notices the letters have been tampered with um and then Bree calls bobby's mom and says bobby 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 baby, where's my jemmy <laughs> sleeping over movie Please don't take him to Cragna, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, Rob's sister looks out the window and it's like, oh, Rob's car is gone. By the way, he wasn't here. I should have probably mentioned that my brother is a piece of shit. So, yeah, it sure. Oh, and uh, our title card was the Tufty Club, which is the other classic TV reference. That's a British TV thing. Um, Jem got a Tufty Club badge at school. And Buck goes perilously close to the stones because the show has never decided how close you can get to the stones without being sucked in. Um, picks up the scarf. So it sure does, but based on what Mandy says, which is that Jem is gone. The stones screamed at her and Jem is gone from up here, from their weird psychic baby connection. Um, and from finding this scarf that Rob has somehow taken Jem back in time which presumably means that Rob can travel in time. That certainly is what the story, the evidence presented seems to be suggesting. Was that your read on it?
2: Yes. Um, I, but I do, you know, Allison, you are the expert here in television and the books. I just can't believe that I'm correcting you. Ooh, hit um, me. But the Tufty Club... Is actually what I call it when I enjoy looking at Roger's chest hair. <laughs> um, I wrote a joke Amelia that I didn't that I forgot
1: to include where I said the Tufty Club is for children with vestigial tails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we took the same thing and did <laughs> jokes in very different directions. The yeah. um, <laughs> Tufty Club is
2: for people look at Roger's chest hair. Oh, you dirty slut. Julie's gonna love that joke so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god, the Tufty Club. The Tufty Club, baby. We gotta laugh because Jem has been kidnapped through time. <laughs> um He's just he's somewhere saying, Can I have a best I'm so hungry. Traveling in time makes me hungry. Do you think that's what happened? Do you think he's
2: do you think he's stoned it? I mean, I I think so. Uh, also, because we watch the next week, so yes, like next week on Outlander. so yes, super. He got he got stoned. Um, is now the time to, to air my hopefully batshit theory on where they landed? Yes,
1: yes. I, I'm assuming what you're about to say is he went back 20 years to fuck his French lady wife's mom.
2: <laughs> yes, um, and is
1: just watching. I hope-
2: I was just watching. I just have this terrible fear that in the next episode we're going to go back to face down sexy quail, and then we hear Glen and Jenny has been transported to the battlefield, and it has to like, like when we were talking earlier about Tom Christie dragging so Jamie back to Claire. Well, Tom Christie has the front half and then Jem is just, like, trying to kick along his feet, like, trying to help because he's too small. Like, I was concerned, like, if you go, we th- were just talking about how if you go through the stones, you're supposed to think about your family or who you want to see. And, like, Jem is probably scared. He's, like, kidnapped. He's being taken through the stones. And then what if he's, like, Granda? this Granda? And then, <laughs> you know, okay, well, you get, here's what you wish for.
1: Amelia, Jesus fucking Christ, that's so deranged.
2: but that's my concern because you've been warning that like the legendary stone circle
1: in saratoga new york (laughs) oh my god oh my god that's so funny Um, i was
2: afraid i was worried that you'd be like stop talking stop talking that's exactly what happens just like you accidentally guessed that buck McKenzie hung no (laughs) no
1: no, because there's i mean who knows maybe they're maybe there is a stone circle somewhere in New York state. Um, (laughs) can you imagine him in his little sweater and his jeans and his little shoes with his little school bag, just showing up on the revolutionary war battlefield. He's like, Oh
2: no, I forgot my scarf. Granda. I was going to show you me. Tufty club badge. Granda. My textbook is a font. You've never seen. (laughs) look at the binding Granddad. guys oh, made in a factory Granda, and not hand done at all i don't have
1: my favorite plane to show you and i never got to say hello to michael mouse oh Ooh. um no that doesn't happen <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> okay um but what does happen is we're about to do scales so uh we've already talked a little bit about the getting up to get a beer scale but amelia on a scale of Ken Burns baseball to Ken Burns, Jim just traveled through the stones to meet his granddad (laughs) on the battlefield. Where, where would you put um, your likelihood of walking away from this episode?
2: Um, I would put it at the, I'll make a man out of you montage for (laughs) me.
1: just because we're thinking about doing a disney karaoke night is that why you had mulan on the brain (laughs) um yes that's hilarious okay um great i i will go ahead and second that um uh actually no i was trying to think of a way to make a parent trap joke but now i'm just picturing Haley mills and Haley mills dancing over jamie's in unconscious form yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah um good god okay um Uh, All right. Sexy time scale on a scale of um, the actual reason for the writing of um, the police's Every Breath You Take to the actual reason for the writing of uh, Layla by Cream, one of several songs, immortal rock songs written about. patty harrison who apparently was hot shit um where would you put the sexy times
2: damn i had one that's not music but no please do the one Um, that's not
1: music it's fine
2: um the sex in the bathroom scene from amelie oh yeah because that's another pair of people who are just feeling it and don't care what they look like
1: yeah that's a really good choice
2: otherwise i guess music wise first thing that comes to mind is like beast of burden
1: Yeah. Maybe Rob Cameron should go back in time to make the stones break up at a good time for them as opposed Mm. to just touring while, while they're, you know, they should all be in a pleasant retirement. Yeah. Um, great. I'm going to say, if I want to try to do a music one, um, Oh, I was trying to come up with something about Mariah Carey singing fantasy on the roller coaster. I I am going to say that. (laughs) I'm going to say Mariah Carey singing fantasy on a roller coaster, only it's a cut where you see bugs fly into her mouth and she doesn't care. (laughs) All right. And costumes on a scale of unsexy quail to the sexiest of all quails. Where would you put the costumes for this
2: episode? Um... One of the lesser bird costumes in Moonrise Kingdom. Great. No one's going to ask you what kind of bird you are, but you're there.
1: Great. Um, and I'm going to say Amelia's clown costume that she wore to see the legendary marionettes of yore.
2: Which- it's true. It's a real clown costume. It's from Fashion Brand Company. Okay.
1: We'll do a bonus episode at some point.
2: All right. That's it. We might talk about this
1: episode more with Julie at some point because I have yeah. a feeling she'll want to talk about this one. Um, and also, I just need to talk to her about In the Air tonight and her thoughts on that drum break. Um, but, man, I'm really excited about the finale, aren't you?
2: Yeah. Two
1: weeks. I'm just glad we-, we have to wait. I know. Yeah. It's really nice to be this excited about Outlander. I mean, I enjoy every season. Do not get me wrong. And season six slapped really hard. But I haven't felt like, ooh, God, gimme, in quite a while. This is a good season. Yes. Yes. All right. Compliments to the chef. Indeed, compliments to the chef, unless it's Brianna because that bitch cannot cook.
2: Or unless you're waiting on supplies to go into your little general yes. fancy tent, because otherwise mm-hmm. you're just
1: eating mustard greens.
0: God damn it! <laughs> Bye. you not allowed to say mustard. Bye.
1: I've got an I've got a thing to open for the end reel. Oh, you do. What is it? It's a two-women bitch. Hell yeah.
0: I'm so sad I missed camping this year.
1: So did I, but you know what? It's going to be delicious. Yeah, it is. Um, But we're not here to talk about missing camping. Um, By complete coincidence, every week in August, because these are definitely recorded for every episode and not recorded in one fell swoop for the entire month. Um, Sure. we're We're here to talk about the amazing
0: audio program that we just completed right now in this very second and then posted to the internet for your listening pleasure immediately too. just no, like no downtime.
1: Nope. Just like sent it right, right from, from our brains to the internet (laughs) with no, no stop. Amelia just follows us around with, with instruments in case we need her. Exactly. I mean, honestly, that's not terribly far from the truth. I agree. It really is like,
0: you can just say, hey, Amelia, hey, Buzz, can you be here in half an hour with a recorder? And she's like, yeah, can I? (laughs) She did show up at my house last time we did this with a bag full of instruments. Oh, she did. And I gave her my Yeah, that's right. Because she did my heart will go on from my kitchen, which is amazing. She is a ham who is on the loose. On the loose. She's a the loose.
1: Uh, anyway, point is, that was a great show, wasn't it, Patty? We did great.
2: <laughs> we did great.
0: We always do great. And we would just like to tell you a few things so that then we can get to thanking the really great people. Yeah. So this amazing piece of content was edited by me, Julie. It was produced by Allison and Julie and other stuff by Allison. Our social media game is tight. And that's thanks to Amelia Ham on the Loose Bazelle, as well as all the bad recorder covers. Love you, baby. Mean it. Our artwork (laughs) is by Laura Berrios, a.k.a. Viv Pickles. Our slag maven is Jenna Pukowski. You can find us on facebook.com slash podlandercast on Instagram at podlandercast. You can find all of our shit there. You can also find us at podlanderpresents.com where you can find all sorts of info about our high-quality content, like this right here. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pocket Casts or whatever the hell is new. I don't know. Whatever you're listening to right now. And we want to thank all of you for listening, but we especially want to thank our patrons. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash drunkcast where you can support the show, join the Slack, get early episode access, and all sorts of fun bonus content.
1: Live streams, baby. You can see
0: so many live
1: streams. Bitch, you could have watched us be all geared up to react to the Nuckleview and
0: then be underwhelmed by the Nucklavy reveal in real time. What a whiff. Thanks to all of our patrons. You all make it possible for us to do all this stupid shit. You know what you're like? You're like, uh you're like taking a shower and sliding into clean sheets. We are the Buck Mackenzie of this podcasting
1: relationship. And you all are the gem and Mandy smuggling us all the, the chips and crisps and, and combing our beard with a Barbie biscuits. brush and combing our beard with a Barbie brush. Mm-hmm. The, Julie, did you pick up on, they were watching Buck Rogers. Yes. I'm obsessed. Anyway, um, we want to thank all of our patrons. You are all lovely, delicate blossoms and or hearty behemoths of strength or um, sensitive souls with beautiful auras or whatever it is that's going to make you feel good because we love you and you're the best and you deserve exactly the praise you want. Mm Mm-hmm. But we especially want to thank the following lovely folks who sponsor at the level where we say their name in a big fat rush at the end of every episode. Are you ready? Hell yeah. Kristen Blanton, Caitlin Gibbons, Katie the Jordi Fishwife, Mindy Newell, Rachel Rovell,
0: Brenda ha ha ha.
1: Allison King, Jock, JWS, Sydney Taylor, Snezzynak, Lisa Brienne Julia Guglia, Kathleen Martini, Lauren Tennant, Kelsey Kemp, Emily Day, Betsy. You know what? It's been a while since we've told it. It's been a while since we've told a Lauren Tennant is not related to David Tennant joke. So I just want to say once again for the record that Lauren Tennant,
0: not not related, not related to David Tennant, not related,
1: unless she is, in which case, thank you for respecting his privacy. Um. Celebrities need love, too. Kelsey Kemp, Emily Day, Betsy English, Caitlin Reddick, Jen Collins, Tina Barnett, Nicole Rodriguez, Kristen, Freckled, Fury, <laughs> Liz and Tinkerbell, Terry Welch, Rochelle Fever, Amanda Smith, za, 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 Amy Gustafson, Rachel Townsend, Kelly Mizella, Chantal Salters, Tara Laquino, Viv Pickles, a.k.a. Laura, Mary of the Grapefruit, Jenna Bukowski, Anne Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Carol Marlowe, Trish McCrary, Julie DeToy, Jen Lynn, Ken, Amanda, and Amanda Newton... Elizabeth Young, and Kiki.
0: The, the Wise.
1: Stay tuned, bitches, for a mid-season finale live show announcement sometime soon-ish. We're, we're not in any great rush. The show's not back until next year, y'all. We're not in a hurry to make sure that we get y'all down to the Oasis. Make To get you all to slip on down to the Oasis. Um, <laughs> But keep an an eye peeled, an ear pricked, um, a psychic connection with your baby sister open and flowing to uh, find out about more fun stuff you can do with us. In the meantime, we're going to go back to drinking our bevs and loving you all. See ya. Bye. Bye.
2: Hi, folks. Let me see if I can sum up Midnight Burger in about 25 seconds
1: fine so this is how it ends eaten by wolves in space
0: pardon me gloria might my husband and i have a word the radio is talking to me really big monster zero irony
2: we're surrounded by cavemen what the hell is that
0: because you're having a cigarette in 415 million bc where are we space
1: can you narrow that down
0: the bad part
1: ava
2: yeah that didn't work at all at the nexus of all things there is a diner Look for Midnight Burger on your favorite podcasting app or just go to weopenat6.com.